0: The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 26 through 38 this morning. And uh, when you find Luke 1, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word in God's house this morning. And... Uh, We're thinking about the villages that surround Christmas, the Christmas story was built on. And today we're going to be thinking about Nazareth. Uh, This is the word of the living God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God." I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, a week from this Thursday, Lord willing, uh, we'll be heading back to Israel. And uh, one of the places that we'll visit while we're in Israel is the town of Nazareth. And those of you that are going to go on the trip, I want to tell you that uh, Nazareth in Jesus' day was a small town. It is no longer a small town. Uh, In Jesus' day, it was primarily uh, a Jewish town. There were very few people that lived in Nazareth in Jesus' day who weren't Jewish. Now it is the largest Arab city in all of Israel. And so as we look at Nazareth in Joseph and Mary's day, we see it was small. Uh, Only about 170 to 200 people, those are the low estimates, some high estimates say maybe as many as 400. Uh, But it was not a big village by any means. Uh, It was based on a population of people who were related to King David and his father Jesse. Uh, Many of the inhabitants were believed to have been relatives of Jesse of Bethlehem and his son King David. And the name Nazareth in Hebrew comes from the root of the word Nazarite, meaning a religious person who takes a vow. And uh, if we read the Old Testament, uh, one of the Nazarites in the Old Testament was Samson. Uh, his parents were told that from his birth, he was to be a Nazarite. He was not to allow a razor to touch his head. He was not to drink strong drink, and he was not to touch dead bodies. Uh, those were three vows that a Nazarite took. Well, we know that Samson kept one of those vows. He had long hair, and he uh, had it in locks because his hair was so long. He had never had a haircut all of his life. And then we do know, though, that he did not keep the other two because we found on several occasions he uh, got drunk, he started drinking, and he didn't keep that vow. And then the other thing he didn't do is uh, he didn't refuse to touch dead bodies because he killed literally hundreds of Philistines. And so we know he didn't keep those two vows. But a a Nazarite person was someone who was dedicated to God from their womb, and that could be the root of the word Nazareth, or it could be from Netzer, uh, which means branch and isaiah eleven one says then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit.' Uh, since most of the people in Nazareth came from Jesse's line, uh, it could mean Netzer. That means branch. Nazareth has never been mentioned in the old Testament, uh, but early Christians who followed Jesus were called Nazarenes because Jesus was called by many people, Jesus of Nazareth. And people refer to somebody from Nazareth as a Nazarene. And since many of the disciples were from the area of Galilee where Nazareth is in the upper area of Galilee. Uh, they were referred to as Nazarenes before they were referred to as Christians, so early Christians were called Nazarenes, but it was a scorn place in fact in john 's Gospel, when Jesus is calling the disciples we 're told that Philip told Nathaniel in John one hundred forty five that Jesus from Nazareth was the one spoken of by the prophets, and Nathaniel said, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And the next day he met Jesus. And uh, Jesus said unto him, Thou art an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And he began to believe in Jesus from that time on because he'd never met Jesus before, but Jesus knew all about him. So Nazareth in Mary and Joseph's day was a small town. Joseph, as we know, was a carpenter. And you can imagine in a small town when a couple is engaged, now this espousal or the engagement uh, was an official part of marriage. Now we have people that get engaged and then they get married. But if you were going to marry in Israel, you would get engaged and then you would be espoused. And the espousal was more serious than an engagement. In fact, uh, the only difference between the espousal and marriage was that the marriage would not be consummated. Uh, they could be together and stay together, uh, but they were not to be intimate with each other. And so that's where Mary and Joseph were in, in their plans to get married. They had gone from the engagement to the espousal and, and were planning a marriage when the angel showed up in, in Nazareth. Now, this past week, I called a lady that I knew at Sanford years ago. Uh, She was the daughter of Southern Baptist missionaries who served in Nazareth in the 1950s. I called her to ask her a few questions because as a girl, she lived in Nazareth, and it was much different then than it is now. In those days, it was much smaller. In those days, it was primarily Arab. Uh, The Jewish people were moving into Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and places like that, and they didn't want to live in Nazareth particularly, but now uh, it's, it's a very large city and a lot of Jews live there, a lot of Arabs live there. Some of the Arabs are Christians, some of them are Muslim. But she told me things about Nazareth. She said, you know, Nazareth is off the beaten path. Uh, In the old days there was a trade route that went from Egypt up toward Babylon in the Old Testament and that was probably the most uh, busy trade route in the ancient world. But Nazareth was off the beaten path of that trade route. Uh, it set off the beaten path. In fact, you had to go over a hill uh, to get to Nazareth. By the way, you know what that trade route was called? It was called the Valley of Jezreel. Uh, that may not mean anything to some of you, uh, but there's a mountain that helps make up the Valley of Jezreel, and that mountain is named Megiddo. And in Hebrew, it's called Har Megiddo, and we get Armageddon. That's where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. Uh, now, Nazareth sits just away from the valley. Uh, of Megiddo, the plain of Jezreel, which is where the battle is going to be fought. So it was out of the way. Uh, You didn't go through Nazareth. You went to Nazareth. And so it was a very small town. That's why Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then we see Nazareth in the ministry of Jesus. The amazing thing to me is that Jesus spent more time in Nazareth than he did anywhere else. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We know they stayed in Bethlehem until the wise men came, and we know that after the wise men left, Joseph was warned that he needed to take Mary and Joseph and Jesus and go to Egypt, so they went there. They only stayed a short time in Egypt, and then they returned to Nazareth. Jesus spent about 28 or 29 years in Nazareth. He grew up there. He worked with Joseph in the carpenter shop there. He lived a normal life as far as we know. And the only things we know about Jesus in Nazareth, first of all, when he was 12, he went to the temple. And when he went to the temple, this would be what the Jewish people today call the bar mitzvah. He went to become a child of the covenant. At the age of 12, a boy was considered ready to become a man, religiously speaking. And so he would be taken to the synagogue, or in this case to the temple, and he would talk to the temple elders and they would see whether or not he qualified to be a part of the of the, of the the tribes of Israel. And so Jesus was carried by Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem and stayed there. And in fact, the last time they saw him, he was in the temple. And the next day they left to go home and they went a day's journey and after the end of that day's journey, They looked around and Jesus wasn't there. And so they'd already gone a day's journey. It was a day's journey back to Jerusalem. And this amazes me. They said they looked for him for three days. And you know where he was? He was right where they left him. He was right in the temple. There's a spiritual allegory there. If you've walked away from Jesus, guess where he is? He's right where you left him. He's not going to walk away from you. But you may walk away from him. Mary and Joseph did but they found him right where they left him at the temple. And there's a couple way to translate what he said. He may have said, did you not know that I must be about my father's work or business? But then you could also read that, did you not know that I must be busy in my father's house? That was the temple. And so that was one incident that happened while he grew up, very, very brief incident. And then we're told that when he began his ministry, uh, he started by preaching in Nazareth and a strange thing happened in Luke chapter four. By the way, uh, Luke says and concludes his boyhood days by saying, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. So we know that as a boy, as he grew into manhood, people liked him. He grew in favor with God and with people. And so when Jesus began his earthly ministry, where did he go? he went into the synagogue at Nazareth and he read in Luke chapter 4 the prophecy from Isaiah and he told the people in the synagogue that day today this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. When he said that, the people got mad. You talking about having a church fight? They got mad at the preacher. I think that still happens occasionally today. I think sometimes people don't like what the preacher says. And that's okay. But you know what? The preacher is not much of a preacher if he preaches to tickle your ears. You know, if you you came here today to get your ears tickled, I hope you're disappointed, you know. Because first of all, if you just came to hear the same old things that make you comfortable, I'm not doing my job. But Jesus went into the synagogue at Nazareth where he grew up, and he told them, he said, Today, you've seen the prophecy fulfilled in Nazareth. You know what happened? They got mad at him. They grabbed him physically, and they took him out of the synagogue. Nazareth sits in a bowl, and that center of that bowl is where the well is, and when we go to Nazareth in a few days, uh, we'll go to that well, and most scholars believe that is where the angel appeared to Mary right there at that well. But they took Jesus out of the city of Nazareth, out of the little village of Nazareth in those days, and they took him to a cliff and they were gonna throw him off a cliff. Now, you know that song that we used to sing, gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Let me tell you about this, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. When they got to the edge of the cliff and they were gonna throw him off, he decided it wasn't his time to die. He said, I can't, I can't die by being thrown off a cliff. That's not the purpose of my life. I came to die on a cross and being thrown off a cliff is not dying on a cross. So you know what Jesus did? he didn't throw a temper tantrum he didn't strike anybody the bible says he just turned and walked through their midst you know what that tells me about jesus it tells me that when he set his mind to do something he was going to do it just as when he went into the temple to clean out the temple he didn't need the disciples to get his back because he was doing god's work folks i want to tell you don't you ever be afraid to do the work God has called you to do. Jesus turned, didn't say a word, just turned and walked through them. And the Bible only records one other visit to Nazareth. Mark chapter six records a return visit. And this amazes me, where Jesus was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. And then notice what Mark says. And he was amazed at their unbelief. See, these were the people he had known all of his life. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. The lesson that we learn from Nazareth is that Jesus will not stay where he's not welcomed. And I want to say this. Our church has been blessed. Time and time again, God has done things in our services that were supernatural. And when God does something supernatural in a service, here's the reason. It's not because of who the preacher is. It's not because of who the worship leader is. It's not because of the song the choir sings. It's because God's people welcomed God's spirit in this place and said, Lord, have your way in our lives. That's when special things happen. I think we'd all be amazed if we prayed more how many more times those special things would happen. Jesus will not stay where he's not welcome. Now, that's the first thing I'll say about that. And then I love that Mark said he could not do any miracles except heal a few people. He said, well, that's a negative report. Wait a minute. <laughs> what if you were one of those few people? <laughs> uh, what, what if you were a leper and, 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 and he healed you? Well, that's a miracle for you. Uh, what if you were blind and he caused you to see? That's a miracle. What if you were lame and he caused you to walk? That's a miracle. There were miracles done in spite of their unbelief, but as far as we know, Jesus never went back to Nazareth again, where he spent most of his life. Matthew 4 reports that Jesus went to live in Capernaum, and Matthew 9-1 refers to Capernaum as his own town. You say, well, that was good, I bet that was a blessing to Capernaum. No, really wasn't, because when we go to Capernaum, you're going to be amazed when you see it, Don. An ancient city that's a ghost town. One building, if I remember correctly, remained in Capernaum. And it was the Catholic church built over Simon Peter's house in Capernaum. And in fact, even though Capernaum welcomed him for a while, Jesus said this about Capernaum. He said, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the miracles that had been done within your streets, they would have repented and they'd still be here today. And then he said this, this amazes me. He said, it will be more comfortable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. And when you walk down the streets of that ghost town, you can almost hear Jesus' voice ringing, saying it will be more comfortable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. That was his adopted town, but they ended up rejecting him too. Well, what about Nazareth today? Nazareth is the large, largest Arab town in Israel, has a population of over 80,000. A Jewish settlement close by has a population of 80,000. The total population of the area around Nazareth is around 210,000. Within that Arab community, 70% are Muslim and 30% are Christian. Southern Baptists began to work in Nazareth before World War I and the Nazareth Baptist School was founded, and it only closed down for World War II. And in the 1950s, we sent missionaries there. In fact, we sent missionaries, uh, Paul, you'll, you'll be able to know this, uh, Dr. Walsh, uh, J. Wash Watts from the seminary uh, in New Orleans where Paul studied, and I think you had Dr. Watts. He was still there when you were there. He retired by the time I got there. But Paul studied under him. He was one of our first missionaries Uh, To Nazareth. After he left and came back, Dr. Leo Edelman, who was the president of the seminary when I went there, uh, went to be a a missionary there. In the 1950s, uh, there was a family uh, sit there and they ministered there during the 1950s. And one of their daughters and I were in school together at Sanford. And so this week, I wanted to find out more about Nazareth. I went on the Nazareth School website. I found out that that lady is a part of the trustee board at Nazareth School. So I called her this week, and I asked her some questions about Nazareth. Uh, She grew up in Nazareth as a a little Southern Baptist missionary kid. And she loves Nazareth. And she told me a lot of things about Nazareth, Nazareth and even the work that goes on there today. And she said, let me tell you how that work began. She said there was an Arab man who came to the United States, and he came here not trying to get wealthy, but he came here in search of truth. He had heard about Jesus from Arab Christians, and he'd heard about Mohammed from Muslims in Nazareth, and he couldn't make up his mind. He'd hear about Jesus, and he'd want to believe in Jesus. He'd hear about Mohammed, he'd think he'd want to become a Muslim. And so he came to America, and he went to Dallas, Texas. And he asked a man on the street one day, if you wanted to know about God, who would you go talk to? And he said, well, there's only one person here in Dallas that I trust when you talk to him about God. And he said, his name is Dr. George W. Truett. and he's pastor at first Baptist Dallas. So this young Arab man made an appointment at first Baptist Dallas, walked in and sat down with Dr. George W. Truett, and told him, I have come to America, not in search of riches but in search of God. Can you tell me where God is? And George W. Truett opened his Bible and he showed that young Arab man, the Old Testament scriptures that said, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And he showed him the prophecy. In Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement Of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. And there in Dr. Truett's office, in the days ahead of World War One, this young Arab man gave his heart to Christ. He went back to Nazareth. There was no Baptist church in Nazareth, but he began to talk to some people. And before long, in the town where Jesus grew up, where there had never been a Baptist church, a small Baptist church began. And God blessed that church and God blessed the school that they started. And now, even though the majority of the population in Nazareth is Arab and and of those, 70% of those Arabs are Muslim and not Christian, there are Muslims who pay for their children to go to the Nazareth Baptist school. And guess what they're taught in the Nazareth Baptist school? They're not just taught reading and writing and arithmetic and science and social studies. They're taught the Bible and they're taught that Jesus is the Son of God. And that work which began before World War I is going on today. You know what amazes me is the kinship we have with people who love Jesus all over the world. Last Sunday night, I, I loved the musical that the choir did. It really wasn't a musical. It was a worship experience, I keep saying musical. It wasn't a cantata, it wasn't a musical. It was a worship service. And for those of you that maybe you didn't get here, I hate that, at three o'clock, the uh, sanctuary was pretty full. And I wanna remind you, last Sunday, if you were here, you know this, uh, we had torrential downpours uh, most all of Sunday afternoon. We had a few breaks, but I don't think there was ever a time when it wasn't at least sprinkling. And at three o'clock, this place was full. And when the choir finished their program, I gave an invitation and we had people get saved at three o'clock. And uh, that was great. And then at six o'clock, we came back and I looked around and the crowd wasn't very full. But you know, the choir prayed and they got up and they did a wonderful job. All the instrumentalists did a wonderful job. Uh, the, The girls that were the narrators, I want to tell you, you know, they ought to be on Broadway somewhere. They, they were that good. I mean, they. you know, they, they, I was really glad they recorded my voice so I didn't have to go up when those girls were up there because I'd have forgot everything I was supposed to say. I mean, it was just great. I mean, it was just a simple story of Jesus. And at 6 o'clock, we gave the invitation. There were several people that came down. People got saved. But the mother of one of our choir members got saved. Even though we didn't have the big crowd at 6 o'clock, we had 3 o'clock. But I want to tell you... It doesn't make any difference if one person or ten people get saved. When people get saved, we ought to rejoice. We, we ought, I mean, we really ought to. Man, when people get saved in heaven, you're going to know it. And I tell you what, when people go to be with the Lord, uh, you'll hear cheering going on. Well, what's going on? What happened up here? Man, somebody just got saved. Well, I, I hadn't heard anything like that since I heard Auburn won the Iron Bowl. I, I you know. I had to get that in for you Auburn fans. All right, some of you are mad. I hadn't said anything about it, so... Put me back on your Christmas gift list now. That'll be the last time I say anything good, I tell you what, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, you know why that thrilled me? Because when I was a young preacher, I went to hear a guy who was an outstanding preacher. He had a passion for souls like few men I've ever known. And one day he told a story while he was preaching I'll never forget. He was saved out of a home where his daddy was an alcoholic. And his mother had to work two jobs to keep the family together. But she refused to work on Sunday morning. If somebody told her that she had to work on Sunday morning, she'd say, no, I've gotta get another job because I'm gonna take my son and my daughter, we're going to church on Sunday morning. Nothing is more important than worshiping God to me. And he said sometimes she'd have to work till midnight on Sunday night so she could be off on Sunday morning. And he and his sister grew up in that home. Primarily during the days they grew up, they never saw their father sober. And they never saw their mother not work two jobs to provide for them. Later on, he got called to the ministry. God opened doors. He went to school. He went to college. Went to seminary. Was pastoring a big church. His daddy was lost. His daddy had gotten sober. Sober. He was clean, he was dry, but he was still lost. And one Sunday he decided I'm gonna go back to my hometown and I'm gonna get my daddy to go to church with me. And it happened the Sunday he was there was the Sunday before Christmas. And he went to talk to the pastor of the little Baptist church where his mama went. And he said, pastor, I'm gonna be here Sunday morning. And said, my daddy has promised to come with me. And he said, my, my daddy's been an alcoholic, but he's sober now. And he said, I want him to be saved. And he said, pastor, when you preach Sunday morning, I want you to know there'll be a lost man sitting in your congregation. And that lost man's my daddy. And I want you to preach a, a sermon on salvation. I want you to preach it short and sweet and simple. My daddy needs to be saved. That pastor looked across his desk. He said, well, I hate to disappoint you, but this is a Sunday before Christmas. He said, on the Sunday morning before Christmas, our choir always sings a cantata. And this other man said, oh, pastor, please, let the choir sing the cantata, but you give up, get up and give the plan of salvation and give an invitation. Said, my daddy's promised he's going to come with us. This will be the first time my daddy's ever been in church with us. The man said, you need to understand, we don't do things like that in this church. Sunday morning, he was sitting, that lost man was sitting with his preacher son and his wife and his daughter. And the choir got up and sang a beautiful cantata. And the pastor got up and said, well, we've certainly been blessed by the choir. Let's stand for the benediction. And that preacher said, when the preacher said amen, we turned and we walked out the door. And he said, within a few weeks, my daddy died with a heart attack. And as far as I know, my daddy never got saved. I heard him tell that story. Tears were streaming down his cheeks. And he said, when I preach, he said, I like to think that my daddy's or someone like my daddy's sitting in that congregation And this may be the last invitation they're ever given. This may be the last sermon they'll ever hear. And he said, I want to make sure that people know the most important thing in the world is not having a Christmas cantata. The most important thing in the world is not having a dignified service. The most important thing in the world is to... Give an invitation and invite lost people to get saved because he said the Lord Jesus said this. I am come. I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. Nazareth was a small town. Nobody ever heard of Nazareth until Jesus was born there. And Nazareth had the light of the world within the village limits for nearly 30 years. And they refused to accept the light. You say, what's worse than that? Somebody sitting in this sanctuary this morning. Oh, you've heard the Christmas songs. I love to see these little Christmas children sing. That doesn't bless your heart. I don't know what will. And you know know why the children sing like that? Because they believe in the Christ of Christmas. It's not just a fairy tale to them. It's not just a story, a religious story. It's a story about the true meaning of Christmas. And so I say to every one of you here today, unless you have accepted God's Christmas gift, the gift of his son, You will never celebrate Christmas the way it should be celebrated. In Revelation chapter three, Jesus said these words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, any man, any person hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll abide with him, and he will abide with me. Have you invited Christ? I want to promise you this. He is knocking at your heart's door. When he knocks, you need to open that door and let him in, and he'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. When bad things happen, Andy and Patty, he'll never leave you. Heaven becomes more real the older I get. I'm so thankful that Jesus came from heaven and lived here on earth and died for my sins and the sins of the whole world so that he could take us all to heaven if we trust him and serve him. Now the question is, is there room in your heart today for Jesus? Let's bow together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me the privilege of one more time preaching the wonderful story of Jesus and his love and father Christmas is not about a tree or presents or parties or activities Christmas is God became flesh and dwelt among us he came unto his own and his own received him not but to as many as received him to them he gave power to become the sons of God even to those who believe on his name. And Father, if there are those here today who've never opened the door of their life and received your gift that you gave at Christmas through the womb of a virgin born in a manger to be our Savior, may this be the day and this be the hour that Christmas becomes real to them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. John R. Rice said, I want no Christmas without a burden for lost souls, a message for sinners, a heart to bring in lost sheep so dear to the shepherd, the sinning souls for whom Christ died. I hope that will be the emphasis of your experience this Christmas. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.